Welcome to another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents podcast, a production of the Criminal Law Department at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School in Charlottesville, Virginia. Every two weeks, we release a new episode. Today, we're going to have a conversation about a recent opinion from the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. Please note that these episodes may contain facts and circumstances surrounding criminal trials. Listener discretion is advised. All rise! Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The Honorable United States Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces is now open and in session. God save the United States of America and this Honorable Court. Welcome back to Cath Chat. I am Lieutenant Colonel Jeremy Broussard. This is Lieutenant Colonel David Seagraves, United States Marine Corps. And today we're talking about the recent decision, United States versus St. Jean. This case was decided by the CAF on January 30th, 2023. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Seagraves, Dave, what is this case about? Well, Jeremy, uh, this case addresses the application of MRE 412, the prohibition on evidence of sexual behavior or disposition of a victim, but also may be seen as exploration into the abusive discretion standard that appellate courts apply to trial judges ruling on the evidence. Okay, so what is this case about? Who was or is Specialist St. Jean? Well, St. Jean was a specialist in the Army, and he was stationed at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. He was assigned as a sponsor for a soldier named M.C., who's the victim in this case. M.C. was new to the Army, and Fort Sill was their first duty station. A sponsor is generally a military member who helps a newcomer settle into a new duty station. Shortly after arriving at Fort Sill, St. Jean and M.C. hung out with other soldiers in a barracks room. After consuming alcohol in the barracks room, St. Jean escorted M.C. to her room, and M.C. went to bed. Later that night, M.C. woke up to St. Jean, penetrating her vulva with his penis. Subsequent to the assault, M.C. attempted suicide three separate times. She was later separated from the Army through a medical evaluation board. Before the court-martial, defense moved to admit evidence under a military rule of evidence 412, the so-called rape shield rule. The evidence they tried to bring in was to prove consent. And these were, one, the testimony from the appellant, St. Jean, that MC invited him to her room on May 3, 2018, the day before the alleged assault. While in the room, St. Jean and MC reportedly made out. Two, testimony from two witnesses that they saw hickey marks on St. Jean the day after the alleged assault, strongly implying those hickeys were not there before. Three, testimony from a witness stating that she saw MC asleep on a fold-out bed beside St. Jean the day after the alleged assault. And four, testimony from appellant that MC showed appellant St. Jean a Polaroid picture of her bare buttocks with a bruise and, and told appellant that she liked to be spanked, although it was not clear when MC is alleged to have showed the picture or made that comment. So in this case, there were, there were several judges involved. There was a judge who litigated the motions before the trial, then there was another judge who sat actually at the trial. Uh, what happened at the motion hearing about this evidence? So before trying to bring in a MRE 412 evidence, you have to have a closed 39A or closed motion session. So the motions judge uh, made his initial oral ruling. He ruled that evidence of St. Jean seen with hickeys the day after the event would be res geste evidence. So they would not qualify for 412 evidence if the hickeys occurred during the course of the charged offense. Now, res geste basically means the events at issue or other events contemporaneously with them. And as I stated, 412 and its sexual behavioral definition specifically excludes 
Res geste evidence. So um, how did he rule? Well, he subsequently issued a seven-page ruling. That's a lot. Yeah, uh, really in-depth, and, and we're going to come back to that later because uh, the courts like, give, give a lot of deference to the fact that he spent you know, all that time kind of showing his work. Uh, so he denied the motion as the testimony about consensual kissing, the hickeys, the photo, the spanking comment. Um, they did grant the motion as to the testimony that, that MC and St. Jean were observed on the same fold-out bed a day after the sexual assault allegedly occurred. So, okay, so now the parties have their left and right limits regarding this type of evidence. They go to trial. Does it come up again at trial? Yes. At trial, defense counsel started a line of questioning to elicit testimony about the hickeys. You know, government, not asleep at the switch. Good deal. Jumped up. Objection. Improper 412. And so they had a colloquy between the judge and defense. Defense sought to distinguish the hickeys from the alleged assault from those occurring from the prior kissing event. Trial judge asked defense if there was any evidence before the court that appellant had received a hickey during the alleged assault. Uh, defense conceded at that point there was no evidence in front of the court that it had happened. So the judge said, okay, make me a proffer then. Mm-hmm. How are you going to bring this out? And the defense just replied, your honor, I can move on from this. And I could possibly readdress it later if evidence is presented on that. Did he ever come back to that? He never came back to it. Oh, okay. So defense never came back to the issue, so there's never a ruling on this issue at trial. You're very much right, and again, that's going to be very important later on. So what happens to the good uh, special St. Jean? Well, St. Jean was convicted of sexual assault and sentenced to five years confinement and a dishonorable discharge. Okay, so the appeal is affirmed by the Army Court of Appeals, or Army Court of Criminal Appeals, and uh, now it's up at CAF. And what issues did CAF grant on the appeal? Uh, their main issue is whether the military judge erred by excluding evidence under MRE 412 and by v- preventing the, ev- the, the defense from presenting evidence of persis- participation and consent during the res geste of the charged sexual assault. Okay. And um, so before we talk about 412 and kind of their analysis, again, you, you mentioned before that 412 is strange because MRE 412 is in the section of the manual for court martial that talks about relevance, right? It, things that are admissible for different reasons, but 412 is generally a rule of exclusion. That first paragraph talks about how this evidence of an alleged victim of sexual assault or uh, their other sexual behavior or evidence of the victim's sexual predisposition is not admissible in any proceeding. Sounds pretty firm, but then it lays out three uh, exceptions, right? The first exception being evidence to prove Someone other than the accused was a source of semen injury or other physical evidence, kind of the, the Saudi defense, right? Some other dude did it. Mm-hmm. But that's not really what we're talking about here. Correct. Uh, the second exception is specific instances of a victim's sexual behavior with the accused if offered by the accused to prove consent. Uh, this has also been interpreted to mean uh, evidence of mistake of fact as a consent. And shoehorn in there, for some reason, is evidence the government wanted to offer under MRE 412. Um, and then the third exception would be not allowing this evidence would violate the accused Sixth, right, sixth Amendment right to confront their accusers, um, kind of so-called constitutional exception. Uh, in this case, what were the exceptions that were at issue? Well, first I have to point out to the listeners, you get a bit of a treat today. So uh, you get two evidence professors for the price of one because Lieutenant Colonel Bursard had the portfolio before I did. Uh, so you definitely can have a better discussion uh, 
than um, most faculty members. Any no chance to nerd out on MRE is, is a good day for me. There we go. Uh, so in this case, the defense was trying to admit evidence of consent, consensual behavior between the appellate and MC, so your second uh, prong, um, again, to prove consent or mistake of fact as consent, and also argued the evidence was constitutionally necessary, so the third exception as well. Okay, so then how does the CAF rule uh, on the issue of uh, the relevance of uh, 412 and, and whether or not uh, this was properly excluded by the judge? So CAF made the ruling. The motion's judge did not abuse his discretion in excluding evidence of the prior sexual encounter, i.e. the kissing incident between appellate and MC, uh, because the exclusion was in was within the range of choices reasonably arising from the applicable facts and the law. Again, that kind of reiterates how important the abuse of discretion standard is and how much they will give deference to that trial judge if they actually show their work. And um, let's talk about the, the pieces of evidence that were at issue before the cap. We're talking about the prior kissing the day before the assault and the hickeys that were mentioned uh, regarding the alleged victim. And pardon me, you're very much correct. I forgot about the, the second part of it was that they ruled that the trial judge did not abuse his discretion mm-hmm. in requiring the defense to make a sufficient proffer before the hickey evidence would be deemed admissible at trial. Although they do discuss he never actually made a ruling. Right, right. So uh, let's talk about the prior consensual uh, kissing between MC and St. Jean. Sure. So you know, then arguably the day before, day and a half before, uh, the proffer was out there that, that MC had invited St. Jean to her room where he was going to purchase tickets to a concert that them and some other soldiers were going to go to in Kansas um, the, the next day. Uh, during that time, there was via St. Jean, mm-hmm. consensual kissing, including hickeys. Now, again, we're looking at 412B2, makes you know admissible evidence of specific instances of a victim's sexual behavior with respect to the person accused of misconduct, if offered by the accused to prove consent. So very much right in there. And of course, B3, as we said, anything that's required to uphold the constitutional rights. Um, but to show that, you have to show how it's Relevant, and it's 401, logical relevance, mm-hmm. material. So you have to show, okay, how it goes to your theory of the case, right. why it matters, right. uh, and favorable, which courts have said is vital. Mm-hmm. So it actually really matters to the defense. So this uh, one of the rules also is uh, MRE 403, the so-called balancing test. How does that come into play when it comes to this evidence, which, again, the defense is arguing, the appellant's arguing, I need as part of my constitutional right to mount to the defense? Even under the constitutional exception, you still have to meet that 403 balancing. You know, to be fair, I think we both said to all of our students about evidence, 403 always applies. Mm-hmm. So you can always make that argument. So you have to show that the evidence is, you know, the probative value is not substantially outweighed by the you know, risk of confusion, etc. cetera. Um, so in this case, the trial judge, or I'm sorry, the motions judge, says that the kissing had some relevance mm-hmm. going towards consent. Um, but you know, in the seven-page ruling, he basically said that you know, it was very slight because making out was quite dissimilar to the charged conduct, kind of relying upon Andreazzi, a, a prior case of the court. Um, and defense later on said that was improper, 
but but the calf came back and said, no, it's it's a good, you know, belief of the law and, and reading of it that the more similar they are, the more relevant it is. It doesn't mean if they're not completely similar, it shouldn't be left out, but it does go towards the wing of how relevant it is. Right. Um, now, some of the uh, listeners may wonder, like, well, what else did this seven-page memo say? Unfortunately, we can't tell you, not because we're keeping it from you, because we don't know. Uh, these hearings are closed, and when I mean closed, I say closed, I mean closed to everyone other than the parties, the alleged victim, and, and the court. And when the rulings come out, the parties can see them, but and the appellate courts can see them, but no one in the general public, including us, can actually see what the judge wrote. So we're only kind of gleaning what the holdings from the, judge, the motions judge were as CAF interprets them and cites them in their ruling. Yeah, you can look through the record, and the appellate attorneys actually have to make a motion to be able to read the sealed mm-hmm. rulings mm-hmm. from the initial case. That That's how... You know how important we believe it, the privacy of victims is. So, did the CAF believe that the motions judge in his seven-page ruling uh, committed any violation of law, or with regard to his findings of law or findings of fact? No, uh, and, and we talked about the abuse of discretion before a little bit, but just to, to hit the wickets again, real quick. You know, the, the three ways to to violate the you know or, or to abuse your discretion is to you know have findings of fact that are clearly erroneous, uh, and, and all parties agree that was not the case here. Uh, the second one is to, uh, the court's decision is influenced by an erroneous view of the law. Now, was there, there was some discussion about an inappropriate reliance upon or reading of Andreazzi. Um, and Kaff came back and said that, no, the judge read it right. The, the more likely, the more alike the, the sexual behavior under 412 and the charge behavior, the more like they are, the more relevant they are. Mm-hmm. So they said, no, that he got that right too. Uh, and then the third prong is whether the decision on the issue at hand is outside the range of choices reasonably arising from the applicable facts and the law. And that third prong really just kind of shows you how much deference there is. I mean, they don't have to agree. They might don't have to say, I would have made the same ruling myself. But if it's not clearly wrong, if it's not outside those left and right lateral limits, the trial judge is good. Okay, so now we understand how they don't believe that there was an abuse of discretion. How about the Hickey evidence, though? Um, there was a attempt by defense at trial to introduce that evidence. Government quickly objected. What happened in terms of the review by the CAF? Well, again, they said the trial judge did not err by asking for a proffer of the evidence. The, the real error was the, was the defense counsel never getting a ruling. They just, they no offense, they kind of wilted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and believe me, I, I'm sure we all have plenty of scars uh, from judges when we were, we were young trial and defense counsel. Um, but it seems like defense said, no, I'll just move on, come back to it. And never did and didn't get that ruling. So as a result, CAF affirmed the ACA decision, which affirmed the conviction, saying that the military judge did not err at the trial level by excluding the MRE-412 evidence. Okay, Dave, so this has been good sort of analysis. We got the nerd out. For the practitioners in the field, how can this case impact them? Like, what are some good takeaways for you as a trial defense attorney out in the field? Well, first, I think it really underpins the importance of winning your motion at the trial level, just because so much difference is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we 
talked about a little bit before, but you know, if you're going to come in and talk about any of the exclusions, okay, just saying they meet, you know, one of these exceptions to 412 isn't enough. Okay, that's that's the first prong, essentially, the constitutional look, is that, okay, 401, logically relevant. It goes towards something. So B1, B2, B3, fine, identify that. But that's not enough. You need to show how it's material. You need to show your cards. you got to show your cards. Okay, this is material because it goes to this theory of the case that we're going to bring at trial. As my old counsel would hear me say at nauseam, you got to walk the dog. you gotta, you got to lay it out there for the judge. Um, another takeaway I would say would be to stick to your guns and get a ruling. You know, the judge may yell at you. I happen to know this trial judge, actually the, these, these motions judge. And, uh, yeah, it could be a little intimidating, you know. I don't know the trial judge, but uh, there may be times where you just don't want to have that objection sustained against you or have your objection overruled and feel bad, but you really have to get that ruling uh, if for no other reason than to preserve the evidence. And with defense counsel saying he'll move on, the judge doesn't rule, uh, even though it's a, an objection. So had the defense said, hey, you know, I don't think we need it now, but why don't you rule in the objection? Or have the government say, hey, Your Honor, I did make an objection. I'd like you to say one way or the other how it's going to be. At least there's something on the record. Um, now, some judges will sustain their overrule on the record, regardless of the counsel saying they want to move on, but this one did not. But like you said, Dave, the fault's on the defense counsel for not getting the ruling or getting back to the issue during trial. Uh, not really on the judge for not closing the loop on the ruling of what had already been ruled on by the prior judge during the 412 motions uh, practice. Uh, my next point would be that the charging theory matters. So the government's theory, and it's a tough theory if you're a trial counsel out there, uh, the, based on the summation of the facts, the government's theory appears to be that the sexual assault happened while the victim was unconscious, asleep, or otherwise unaware. And she woke up to the sex act in progress. Now, Defense is always able to raise the uh, affirmative defenses of consent or mistake of fact as to consent and introduce some evidence. But and the government, of course, has to overcome those affirmative defenses beyond a reasonable doubt. But that evidence kind of hits differently when it comes to a theory of, of consent or mistake of fact when the government is trying to prove or has to prove that the victim was actually unconscious when this began. So, um, you know, it, Kudos to the government for strategically kind of boxing in the defense to a degree, but at the same time understand that when you want to introduce this evidence, you have to provide it in the light of, hey, we understand the government's theory is X. This is why, in spite of that or because of that, this evidence will help show maybe MC wasn't asleep when the alleged sex act happened, or maybe uh, in spite of that, here's some evidence to show that um, there was a mistake, a reasonable mistake of fact, maybe as to her consciousness or, or regardless of her consent. And I, I think my, my, my final uh, plug for the field would be our, to our military judges out there. Uh, and we, we talk to all of our, our basic students about, you know, when we talk about relevance, about, you know, trying to force the judge to put their ruling on the record. Uh, one, it'll make them think about it twice because may, maybe like, oh, I'm going to check my math. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I should rule the other way. Uh, but for the, the new judges, and every time we get them in their courses, they're always concerned about relevance and, and how things are going to be looked at. As long as you show your math, you're going to get the deference. Uh, just, and we, we've seen it, and we saw in the CAF opinion, okay, if you, if you don't show, do anything, zero deference. You're going to look at it de novo. You don't, you don't even talk about the balancing. Don't talk about the standard. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, we've got to do this ourselves. If you raise 
you know, the, the ruling and the balancing test and you recite it, and then you're going to get kind of the lesser deference, but you're still going to get some deference. Uh, but if you raise the rule, write a seven-page ruling, uh, they're going to give you a whole lot of deference. I mean, they talked about it in, in, in the case that you know, he actually only in the, in the weighing of everything, he said four or three issues abound, mm-hmm. which is kind of like saying clearly. Mm-hmm. doesn't really make your argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did give one example of uh, the photograph with the buttocks and, and the spanking that, you know, that could confuse the issue and, and the members would think that the, the victim was open to some sort of sexual abuse. Right. And But that was the only example he gave of one of these issues that abound. Right. However, because showed the math, mm-hmm. put out the seven-page ruling, Calf said, okay, this was just one example. He obviously weighed it all out. And it's funny, they, in the seven-page ruling, actually didn't exactly mention the third ex- exclusion of constitutionally required. But they said, well, seven-page ruling, you know, based upon Andreazzi, which re- mentions the constitutional exception, obviously was addressing it. So you know, it's, it's just like you, you, you tell your kids in, in math class, show your work. You know, you, if they don't agree with you, you're going to give you a partial credit. Exactly. Show your work. And that's a great way to end today. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Seagraves, thank you so much. You are a gentleman and a scholar, as always. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for being such a great example for you know, how, to, how to teach evidence. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents podcast. If anything you heard sparked a thought, we'd love to connect with you. Your comments help us create better future content for the field or the fleet. Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. The information can be found in the show notes for today's episode. The views expressed in today's podcast are those of the presenters and not necessarily the Judge Advocate General's Corps, the Department of the Army, or the Department of Defense. Court thanks counsel for both sides, and the court will stand in recess until further order of the court.